0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. So the one thing I saw, which is interesting, I think it was the Braves-Red Sox game, which there was a lot of things over there. I believe at one point in time, they had five infielders. So if you can't do a shift, but you can still bring a a fifth infielder in, explain to me how that's, that's allowed. Yeah, I I think for now, they're just not legislating outfielders. And now that could change at some point, not this season, but certainly in the future. So if you want to take your left fielder, and and let's just use it for the sake of a right-handed pull hitter like Vogelback, if you want to take your left fielder and shift him over to the right side, you can, but you're running a major risk because let's take Joey Gallo as an example. Joey Gallo is an extreme pull hitter who I, I think he sucks, but the shift certainly didn't help him. He hits fly balls to left field. Like, it's not as if when you're a dead pole hitter, you don't hit the ball in the air the other way or to left center field. It's more on the ground where you're pulling it into right field. So if you take your left fielder against Vogelback and you shift him over into that old short right center field, yeah, you could take some hits away. But what about the fly ball to left? Like, you better have a really athletic outfield to kind of help not turn that into a disaster. So I think if you're a team that has a really athletic center fielder and a really athletic right fielder, then, yeah, you could play two outfielders. You're right. There's nothing that's legislating that for now, but you're running a risk, and you're running, in my opinion, a bigger risk than even what you used to have with the shift. But it's a great question, and I do wonder if teams will employ that if teams will look at some of these extreme pull hitters, like a Daniel Vogelback, and say, you know what? We'll give them left field. We'll shade our center fielder over more to left center, but we don't want to give him that base hit in a right field. So let's keep an eye on that. It's absolutely a possibility and a weapon that teams could use. Especially if, you, depending on the pitchers you have, if you have like a sinker ball pitcher, whatever it is, that, that knows how to approach a Vogelback so that he's not going to hit in the air. And it, it, p- ground ball pitchers, there's a purpose for them. If they, if they know how to approach someone like Vogel back, having that fifth infielder is beneficial. Yeah. I think teams are going to do it. I'm not sure how often it's going to be like Daniel Vogel back last year, using him as an example, because he's the best example on the Mets was shifted 75% of the time. some just absurd number. So he was one of the more shifted hitters on the Mets. So we'll see. And teams may take different approaches. What, the Marlins may do, could be very different than what the Braves do. Now, obviously, with the schedule this year, we're going to see every team in baseball. So we'll see how 29 other teams want to treat Lindor and Vogelbach and guys like that. I, and I think this was mentioned on the broadcast. You also may have teams not showing you what they're going to do during the regular season. And also, scouting out what happens here in spring training. You know, a guy like Daniel Vogelbach, who's not going to the World Baseball Classic, may just play a lot more than he normally would have in a regular spring training because we're a few weeks away from the Mets losing their entire infield. <laughs> every, every single guy in this Met infield is going to the WBC. is going Team Puerto Rico. Escobar is going Team Venezuela. McNeil and Alonzo are going Team America. So I, I, you would think that you're still going to keep the workload of veterans to whatever their workload would have been. And really, all this is going to do is create more opportunities for younger players. But who knows? Maybe we see a hell of a lot more of Daniel Vogelback playing first base because he ain't going to be on Team USA. Pete Alonso certainly is. A few other things I noticed Mark Vientos hit that ripped RBI double against the lefty on Sunday, gave the Mets the lead, gave the Mets the win. Huge. You know, we talked about it the other day. I think Vientos, from a fit perspective, makes more sense on this 26-man roster than Brett Beatty, just as a left-handed masher, as a guy that can hopefully crush left-handed pitching. And we saw him play a little first base. Tough to tell much about his defense, but Vientos crushing an RBI double against the lefty is a really good sign. And then, and this is the kid that may electrify all of us and can't, even though it ain't going to mean a hell of beans he ain't making the team, is Ronnie Mauricio. We have all heard about what Ronnie Mauricio did in winter ball. He's a winter ball MVP. And so what does he do? He not only hits a 450-foot home run, he pimped the crap out of it. Ronnie gave us a little preview of the future. We've seen some other sluggers in baseball pimp home runs. We haven't had a lot of pimping. Yeah, just not not that much pimping. Sometimes Pete will pimp a little bit. Sometimes Francisco will pimp a little bit. But Ronnie Mauricio, and I don't care that it's Thomas J. White Stadium, now known as Clover Park. It's always going to be Thomas J. White to me. Doesn't matter if it's February. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's in the eighth inning against the guys who's going to be bagging groceries in a few weeks, as the old Major League line says. Ronnie Mauricio hit a 450-foot bomb, and you're damn right he should pimp it. He also said after the game that he's open to playing other positions. Of course he is open to playing. Dude, you're a prospect. And the guy who's blocking your position is signed to a 500 year contract. So you're playing another position. And he said he prefers third base. Well, Brett Beatty may have something to say about that. (laughs) Look, let this kid mash. Let him mash because there will be an opportunity for you at some point. It's not going to happen on opening day. It's not going to happen on March 30th. But if Daniel Vogelbach doesn't have a big year, could we all of a sudden see Ronnie Mauricio as the left-handed DH come the middle of July? Probably not. But you never know. The point is continue to hit. That was fun to see. I like seeing that. I also like seeing Keith Hernandez hitting on Mrs. Met. It was very awkward if you missed it, but – Keith Hernandez was checking out Mr. Met, Mrs. Met's ass. Like it was really weird, but he was doing it and he was spitting game and on a spring training telecast. Why the hell not? Why not have Keith hitting on Mrs. Met saying, Hey, where's Mr. Met right now? (laughs) Ah, she did say that My one issue with this broadcast. And I'm glad that Gary Cohen brought it up for anyone who watched the Sunday game specifically. Uh, they they opened up a bar in right field, I think. They used to have a bar in left field, the Tiki Bar, which they mentioned on the broadcast. I need to do some investigation on this. That they said they were never allowed to show on TV. Gary said that. He's like, yeah, we were never allowed to show the Tiki Bar at Clover Park on TV. I'm like, why? Was there some kind of reason? Is it a bad influence for kids? Like, what? what am I missing here? And maybe that was it. But they were showing the bar area that they just opened up in right field and they were pumping music like it was a nightclub, which is fine. I I get it. Spring training. You want to have all these different places to entertain families or adults, whoever's going. The problem was the music was so goddamn loud. I'm watching the Met game and I'm hearing music. And I thought I was going nuts. Like I was checking my phone, making sure it's not coming from me, checking my iPad. Then all of a sudden, Gary Cohen says, where's. Where's that music coming from? And I'm like, yes. Yes, Gary. Where is that music coming from? So I hope they stop that crap. I'm trying to watch a baseball game. I've already gotten used to it in the NBA and it drives me nuts. I go to Barclays Center. I can't think. I, I can't hear myself think because all I hear is music. If it was lower, it wouldn't bother me as much, but it's loud. Baseball with music during at-bats? I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I'm ready for a lot of things. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Well, I mean, it's better than I guess silence at the ballpark. I mean, I, I mean the crowds there, but it's not like packed. It's not fifty thousand people, forty thousand people. It was. A, I didn't hear that that the broadcast it was that. It was that loud. It was that prominent. Yeah, yeah. Like it was. I'd rather hear the sounds of baseball, the sounds of the ball meeting the bat, the sounds of the vendors screaming hot dog. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the silence is okay. I mean, baseball is the soundtrack of the summer. You know, I know right now it's February. It's the soundtrack of thinking of the summer. So you don't need music blasting by any stretch. As far as the relievers that we saw, we saw John Curtis the other day look good over an inning. That was on Sunday. Sam Coonrod, who's got an outside shot to make the team look good. Tommy Hunter, who probably has a better shot of making this team than we realize because of Bucks love for him. He looked good. Brooks Raleigh looked good. Uh, a lot of arms in the bullpen look good in their first time. out. doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't. You know, Steven Nagosik, who always, I think I mentioned, has a, a real good shot to make this team because he's out of options, pitched a scoreless inning. TJ McFarlane got in a little bit of trouble. He got through an inning. Jeff Brigham did not pitch all that well, but again, got to see him throw an inning. And then a bunch of guys who, honestly, I was like, who's that guy? Who's Lavender? Maybe I should know. Maybe he's a prospect. And then I find myself on baseball reference saying, should I know who this guy is? Does this guy matter? And the truth is, and I, and I remember this all throughout spring training. Uh, Lavender, by the way, I guess is a prospect. He was like a 14th round pick a couple of years ago. But a lot of the times you see these names and you realize there's 31-year-olds who were just invited to spring training to fill out a roster. So when you see those guys, it's less exciting. But when you see the prospects and you see the prospects succeed, you know, Kevin Pareda got an app at. That was awesome. I was like, oh, great, Kevin Pareda. You know, we've heard the name, but we haven't seen him play. Even to a degree, Ronnie Mauricio, we haven't seen that much of him. So it is nice to see the kids, and we're going to see a lot more of them mainly because of the WBC coming up in a few weeks. Saw Francisco Alvarez, him and Omar Narvaez already have, like, a little relationship, so that's kind of cool. Oh, the one thing I wanted to get to on the Alonzo home run, and I guess this will lead into the – sorry, that was my alarm coming off. I got to take some meds. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm fine. Uh, The Alonzo at-bat, and this will relate to the pitch clock, and then me and Pete yell at each other about it. Pete Alonzo, and I I never even really realized this because my anger – towards the pace of play has always been at the pitcher. And I apologize. It's not always the pitcher's fault. But I think what I've noticed over the years when I've been on DVR and J-Riss Familia throws one pitch in 45 seconds, that it's blame J-Riss Famiglia. So I apologize. I have not taken as no- much notice on the hitters taking as much time. Like we all know about Nomar Garcia-Para, David Ortiz, guys like that. And as Pete was coming up on Saturday – the broadcast crew immediately mentioned, hey, Pete's going to have to adjust. Pete takes a long time between pitches. It's never even something I ever thought about. And I thought it was interesting in his first at-bat in the pitch clock era, you see Pete trying to adjust. He gets in the box. He's trying not to step out. He uses one timeout. And then it's a bomb of a home run. And I thought that was awesome. And then in his next at-bat, rips a base hit. And so Pete had a huge first day. What does that really mean? I don't necessarily think it means anything. Like I said earlier about veterans, you just want them to get their work in, stay healthy, but there is going to be an adjustment. And I'm not naive enough to think that there won't be. There's going to be an adjustment for hitters. There's going to be an adjustment for pitchers. You've got guys who have to change their routine. And so to see Pete immediately respond to his routine change by hitting the baseball over the fence and by having a couple of other hits, I thought that was really encouraging. Keep this in mind, though, when I talk about routine change that a lot of guys are going to have to face. A lot of these guys have no routine change. And what I mean by that is the pitch clock has been in the minor leagues now for a couple of years. It didn't come out of nowhere. So you've got guys, especially during spring training, who look at this as old hat. They've experienced it already. And it made me wonder when they instituted it a few years ago. With that with grooming young players to get in the box quicker and grooming young players to throw the baseball within 15 or 20 seconds would well, that almost cause you to never need a pitch clock. If you change the generation before you or after you, I should say, and they just come to the majors, not trying to kill time on the mound. Maybe it won't be necessary, but it is necessary.